Let's take our Bibles and start going now verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Learning to rejoice in the Lord. You know, as I was trying to find a picture for the slide that's up there, I saw that and I'm like, well, that's fall. But she looks happy. She looks rejoicing. I said, you know what? That's the way we should be in the Lord, over the simplest things, right? I still like to jump in a leaf pile, don't you? My body doesn't like it anymore. Philippians chapter 1, and starting at verse 1, says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the salutation that Paul gives here in a message titled, The Focus is on Christ. I like the way they wrote letters back then because they start with who's writing it. Whoever came up with the idea, the way we do it in the English language, we put dear so-and-so. Well, I know who I am. I don't need you to start by telling me who I am. But then we wait to the very end of the letter to say who wrote it, right? Why do we do that? Because what's the first thing you do? You flip to the end anyhow to see who wrote this thing to you, right? Well, why don't we just do like they did in the ancient times and say it right up front. Paul and Timotheus, that's who wrote it. But in his salutation, Paul is focusing completely on Christ. And three points that I want us to look at this morning and the time we have is see the servants of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we'll observe the saints in Christ Jesus and then our last point is the sanctification from the Lord Christ Jesus. So that we understand our focus is on Jesus Christ. Let us look to him in prayer. Father, again, thank you for this time and the opportunity to examine your word. And as we start this book and look at the focus, where our focus needs to be, Lord, help us day by day to live with our focus on Christ. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Timothy would have been with Paul when he was at Philippi. We saw that in Acts 16. He obviously is now with Paul in Rome, although I'm not certain why he's with him. I don't know if he's visiting him or whether Timothy was arrested as well. Uh, but he would have wanted to greet the saints at Philippi as well. So Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. The word translated servants there could also be translated slave. Now we think of slave, the word slave, as a bad word, do we not? And our nation at one point did have slavery, and slavery is still common among the world, and we view it as a bad thing. Why? Because the master, being human, makes it bad. But being a slave, if you will, of Jesus Christ is not a bad thing because we have a perfect master, right? So when we think of being a servant of Christ, being a slave to Christ, by the way, <clears throat> that is a choice we make. Paul says that being a servant of Christ is a choice. I want to give myself to him. And we should recognize that we are no more than servants. It's interesting because in several of his epistles, Paul addresses himself as the apostle. In this particular epistle, he says we are servants. But throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, 
there's many times when Christians are referred to as servants. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. James, as he starts his epistle, says, James, a servant of God. Jude says, Jude, the servant of of Jesus Christ. Do we view ourselves as servants of Christ? Because that will change the way in which we act when we say, I am, yes, I am a child of God, but I'm a servant of Christ. Because a servant wants to serve, right? Now, you remember in the Old Testament, if I had a, a, a servant and when I set him free, so I'll pick on Charlie today. Charlie, I'm Charlie's servant. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> but Charlie sets me free. And I say, you know what? I really like working for Charlie. Why I say that, I don't know. Why do I like working for Charlie? I don't know. But I like working for Charlie. I could, at that point, choose to say, I want to, be to, con I want to continue to be your servant. So what would Charlie do? He'd pierce my ear. And that pierced ear would be a symbol saying, I am now willingly his servant. I was set free, but I choose to be his servant. I heard years ago a message titled, Real Men Have Pierced Ears. It's a catchy title. Using that passage to help us understand that is how we should view ourselves as I have chosen to be a servant of Christ. I don't think there's a greater title, do you? Than to be called the servant of Christ. But the servant knows his master. Let's look again. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Again, what makes it such a great thing is the master that we have. But does the world know your master? There's many in this world who do not know Jesus Christ. There are many in this world that do not know God. And let me tell you something. The further are we see people getting away from God, the more confusion there is in our world. Or do we, as Peter, too often deny Christ? Peter thought he would never deny Christ. He thought, I'm, I'm above that. These guys, maybe, but not me. But what happens in just a moment, uh, just a, several hours later, Peter's standing there. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. To the point that he starts cussing just to try to make himself fit in with the world so that he can deny Jesus Christ. But isn't it interesting the passage when the eyes of Christ and the eyes of Peter meet? Have you ever felt that way when you have denied Christ as if he caught your eye and the shame that you felt? The servant must only aim to please the master. We need not to please man, but please Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.10 for do I now persuade men or God? 
or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The Bible makes it clear we cannot serve two masters. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve the things of the world and Christ. We have to choose who is our master. But I hope each and every one of you here desires to hear someday from the lips of Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. There will be no greater compliment paid to us from the lips of Christ than well done, good and faithful servant. But the only way we'll hear those words is if we are a good and faithful servant. So Paul, as he's addressing the church, recognizes the fact that he is a servant of Christ. And as a servant of Christ, he was not self-willed. A servant is not to be self-willed. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they and that I'm sorry, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you want to be great, don't look to be in a great position of authority where you're telling everybody to do, but look to serve others. And he points to himself as an example. God himself became a man to serve others. He came to minister, to serve, and there's no greater position than serving. We have it all backwards in our world. People think they should be praised because of some position of authority. Bosses at work who treat their employees like dirt because, after all, I'm the CEO and you're just a peon who works for me. That's not the way it should be. This Thursday, I got to meet for the first time the new executive director of the Eastern Carolina Council of Governments. And I watch people and try to observe character because you can tell me anything about yourself, but your character will truly manifest itself. Do you agree with that? So after he was done his report, he's only been there a month, he gave a report as though he's worked for the COG for... 10 years. He did a great job reporting to the executive board what's going on. And so I complimented on him. I I said, you did a really great job with that report. I really appreciate actual content on it. And because our last executive director, well, there's a reason why they're no longer the executive director, okay? Anyhow, so his first statement was, thank you, I appreciate that, but I got a wonderful staff and they did all the work. That told me something about his character. And then after the meeting was over, he went to one of the employees and said, are we gonna take out the trash? And she said, oh, just leave it so-and-so, we'll get it later. He takes the trash can, starts dragging it to the elevator and took it out himself. Told me a lot about his character. Because if he's willing to do a servant's job, if you will, then he's going to lead the organization in the right way. We've got to start looking at character and not what people say. Now, when I worked at Walmart, 
When I first got to this Walmart, we had a store manager who was exactly that way. He didn't tell you what to do. He would be there doing it with you as much as possible. I had store, man very first store manager when I worked at Walmart in Shelby, sat in the office and you never saw him outside the office. The only time I saw him outside the office was when he was being escorted to the front door for embezzlement. That's no lie. The second store manager we had, he was out with the employees when he first became manager. And then it kind of went to his head a little bit. And next thing you know, you don't see him out there working with you anymore. He's telling you now what to do. But the manager we had when I first got to this Walmart, he'd say, we want to get this display done. Like, okay, they call it the 18 box. It's the box that when you first walk in the, right next to the pharmacy there, the, that seasonal section that changes every time. Well, you, you ever notice, at least back then, it would be changed overnight. That's because we would come in at night. He'd say, how many are willing to come in tonight? And we're going to go ahead and work tonight and change the whole thing over. He says, I'll be here. Well, when your manager's going to be there, it's kind of hard to say, nah. You know, so there's many times we go in at 11 o'clock at night, leave five in the morning to get the whole box changed over. And he was right there with us every time doing it. He didn't mind being a servant and showing it. And you know, I liked working for him. Then we had a manager after him who, again, ended up getting escorted to the front door for embezzling money. It seems like we go back and forth. It's either one extreme or the other, right? And the point being is <clears throat> they need to be servants. Not only employers, and so if you are an employer, remember that your employees, you're not, while they work for you, you're not above them. You should still be willing to do any job you ask them to do, right? You know, I still take my share of scrubbing toilets here because I never want to lose or anybody to ever think that I think I'm above any menial task here at church. But then we got another group. We call them politicians. You do realize they are actually public servants, right? Apparently many of them are forgetting this. Told you Wednesday night, we were in Raleigh Wednesday, and we were in a meeting that went south, and I don't really want to get into details of it, but basically there's politicians up there who forget for whom they work. And the statement was essentially said, I don't care what you think to a group of people. Well, you better because you work for us. And we put you there to serve us. I don't say that arrogantly, folks. But that's the way our system of government was designed. And it was designed that way on purpose. And if they don't see themselves as servants, then it's our responsibility to tell them, then go find a real job, right? Because they're there to serve us. You do realize the calling that I have upon my life, God has called me to serve. I am a minister of the gospel. You do realize police officers, according to Romans 13, or any law enforcement, are servants of God. But how many in these positions don't view themselves as servants? Now, while I do support the police, there have been some police officers that get out of hand, and you know why? 
You know why? Because it's when they get arrogant and forget that they're serving the people and think that they, it's not the law behind them, but I am the authority that they change their attitude toward others. Now, I, look, I've never walked a day in law enforcement shoes, and I, I would not want to deal with some of the things they deal with, but they've got to see themselves as servants of the people every day, right? By the way, and I hope you pray for me, because it can happen in ministry too. I have seen men in ministry who forget that they're servants and start becoming dictators. And it hurts a lot of people. You do realize I'm not here to dictate your life. I can't dictate your life. I'm here to serve Christ, but in serving Christ, I'm here to serve you. Paul, while we tend to put the Apostle Paul on this great pedestal, and Paul was a great man, but when you asked Apostle Paul his view of self, he told us, he said, I am the chief of sinners. I'm just a servant of Christ. Paul never lost view of who he was. And Christian, you and I need to never lose view of who we really are. Number two, we see the saints in Christ Jesus. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. The root word of saint is holy. And you and I are to be holy or set apart for God. You know, the things of the temple were set apart for God's use. So you and I need to be set apart for God's use. All the saved are saints. They're in Christ. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I don't have to wait till I've been in purgatory for 500 years and the church made all their money trying to get people to buy me out of it before I become sainted. Now, I don't act saintly many times, but I am a saint at the moment that I became a born-again believer. And every one of us is saved the same way. Unless we want to boast and think that we're somebody, let's remember Galatians 6.23, or Galatians 3, yeah, 6.23. Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 26, because I feel somewhat dyslexic reading that. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How were you saved? By faith in Christ. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There are no big shots in God's army. We are all saved the same way. Every one of us had to acknowledge the fact that we're a hell-deserving sinner and come to Jesus Christ for salvation. And then he says in verses 27 and 28, for as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So let's stop playing who's who in Christianity and who are the greats and who are the smalls because Jesus said every one of us is the same in him. I honestly believe we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven because we think sometimes these guys that had the big ministry and all the people praising them and everything else are going to be the ones, the head of the line, 
at the judgment seat of Christ, receiving all the rewards, and they're going to walk out, you know, they, they, we think that, wow, that God's really blessing them. But you know, I believe we're going to be surprised who those that really do get the rewards are going to be. I have met many, many widows who are some of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever met. And I think they're going to stand way ahead of line of me because their faith in God puts me to shame. The saints are scattered throughout all the earth. But here he's addressing a specific group of saints. How do we know the saints are scattered? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know, God is calling out a people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is why it's, respon uh, a, 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 um, it's critical that we continue to support missionaries who go to where we can't go so others can be, hear the gospel. But saints who are a, in a specific location should be members of their local church. You know, there, is, there are reasons to be a member of a local church. And we should be, now, in our, we should be part of a local church. Because when you're a member of the church, you can serve in the church. A member of the church has a voice in the church uh, direction, in, in where, you know, things we're going to do. I mean, we don't invite everybody and their brother to come to our church administration meetings. Why? Because it's a church decision. It's for members to decide. And honestly, with the benevolence we do, we try to take care of our own first. And I believe that's a biblical command and a biblical responsibility, don't you? Now, we have a responsibility to try to care for the widows and the fatherless, but we have a greater responsibility to care for our own within our own congregation, especially those that are widows and fatherless. We don't put a premium on church, local church membership like should be. People are very flippant with their, number one, whether they join or not, but then even when they join, their faithfulness to the local church, I'll come to some services, not others. I'll give when I feel like it, not on a regular basis. I don't really want to serve, so I won't volunteer for anything. I mean, and I'm not trying to criticize folks, but I just don't understand the attitude of if this is the organism that God has chosen to work through in this age, why are you not wanting to give 100% to it? But saints are a peculiar people. And I think some of the visitors who've come to Freedom Baptist Church have said, yes, they're very peculiar. <laughs> okay, that's not what it means. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth his praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But let me tell you something. There should be, as the world looks at us, a peculiarity to us, a what is different about them? They should see a difference in you and I. When trials come, you and I should have a hope and assurance in our hearts that is different than what the world has. You and I should be able to view things through a biblical perspective 
that, that says, wait a minute, let's see what God has to say about this. There should be a difference in the way you and I live. You and I should not be out there living for self, partying, and doing all the things the world does, but you and I should have a distinction that the actions I do are for the glory of God. It is amazing to me, the world knows how we should act better than we do. Is that not true too often? You know, it's within the church that we try to make excuses for things we shouldn't do. Well, what if we just do a little social drinking? You know, I've told people, even if I believe the Bible did teach that social drinking was okay, the Bible clearly commands that, and I don't. But I said, just for a moment, let's just assume I do. The Bible clearly commands drunkenness is wrong. At what point do you become drunk? Now, we have a legal definition of that. But according to Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, how much alcohol does it take before the alcohol starts taking control? Not a lot. Do you follow my logic of it? And then I tell them this. I said, okay, let's suppose I did believe that it's okay for me to have a drink with my meal. So my wife and I are having our supper, and I have my wine with my supper, and now Charlie calls and says, I got an emergency pastor. Could you come over to my house? And I show up to his house, and he smells alcohol in my breath. What's the first thought that goes through his head? Now, if we have that standard for pastors... Why shouldn't we have it for all of us? You see what I'm saying? But it's only Christians who want to argue over this. The world knows the way we speak, the way we act, the things we do should be different than what they do, but we always want to try to be just like them, so we try to justify. Not always, but many try to be just like them, so they try to justify the actions that they're doing. Which brings us to the last point. The sanctification from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, kindness, goodwill, God's righteous assistance Christ extends. There's many ways to look at grace. It's by the grace of God that I have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace he is saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Christian, let's never get over the grace of God. You know, many times God's judgment is delayed. And many times I've heard Christians get upset. Why doesn't God just judge them? Look at how wicked and evil they are. Aren't you glad that God didn't judge you the first time you sinned? Aren't you glad he extended grace to you. But God also gives grace for living. How many times have you been in a hard time or a struggle in life and all of a sudden the grace of God just gives you a peace and comfort that you can't explain? I know it's happened for many in this room because I've seen it and I know and it's happened in my life. Neither of my kids are here this morning. So I'll share this with you, but please don't say anything because I'm going to tell them this afternoon. But I'm at a point I need God's grace again. <laughs> Got a call the other day, found out my dad and my brother both have cancer. I need God's grace. They need God's grace. 
And as I said, I'd appreciate you not telling Josh and Shan. I'm going to tell them this afternoon. I want to tell them face to face. Our sanctification is by God's grace. You know, how do I grow closer to Christ every day? By the grace of God. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. And I am so thankful for the grace of God because I'll tell you where I could be and probably would be. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know if I'd still be on planet Earth. God's grace is sufficient. Do you find the sufficiency in God's grace? Is he truly all you need? What wonderful greeting. <laughs> grace be unto you and peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we're no longer the enemies of God? No longer fighting God, but we have peace with God. So many in this world seeking peace. I shared with you, and what day are we on? Was it last Sunday that we had the Stand for Life? I shared with you about Alex who we got to talk to after the rally. The girl has no peace in her life right now. But I'm praying that someday we'll see her walk through these doors and hear that she got saved or that she walked through these doors and get saved here, amen, and have that peace with God. But beyond the peace with God, you and I, Christian, now can experience the peace of God. When things go wrong, now, does it break my heart to have my mom call me and tell me the news that I heard? Yes. But I, as I said, I need God's grace, but I know he gives the peace. I have a peace of God in my heart. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You know, you read about the martyrs and you're like, how could you face that? You know God gave them the grace and then a peace in their heart that they were able to face even death. And when it comes your and my time, God will give us the grace and the peace we need to face even death. But Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule has the idea of umpire. You know, so often I hear this abused though. Well, I have peace about it, preacher. Well, if it contradicts the scripture, there is no way that that peace you feel is from God. And Christian, you and I need to start to understand and learn the difference between a manufactured peace that we try to give ourselves and the true peace of God that should be ruling in our hearts. Because there are times in my life where the decision makes no sense to anybody. I told you before, when I decided to come down to go to Bible college, I had a lady at our church who was on the school staff pull me in her office and she chewed me out and say, how dare you take your family from a secure job, a secure ministry and go down there and you're gonna, you don't even have a job yet when you get there and you're going to try to provide for your family and you say that this is God's will in your life and she goes, there's no way God would ever call man to do that and she chewed me out, blah, 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 going on and on and I said, ma'am, I can't explain it. And you're right. Logically, it makes no sense. I said, but I have a complete peace, and I have never had this kind of peace before. I said, 
So I'm going to follow what God has told me to do. And let me tell you something. A few months later, when that church went through a major split, I told you before, I would have been in a precarious situation because I lived on property and it was my job there and, 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 and Susan worked for the church. And, and the way the church split, I disagreed with what happened and I would have had to leave and give up my job, give up my house, give up everything I had. I'll tell you what, it may have not made sense, but I, I'm so thankful God gave such a peace that I followed along with what he said. And by the way, as soon as I got to Shelby, North Carolina, and blew through all my savings, then God gave me a job because he wanted me to learn how to trust him and not me. And he's provided ever since. Let the peace of God roll in your hearts. We've seen the servants of Christ, the saints of Christ, and the sanctification from Christ. But in the whole salutation that Paul writes, the focus is still Jesus Christ. And Christian, he needs to be the focus of our lives. Let's focus on him as master. Let us focus on him as our savior and as our source of grace and peace. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for this message and this time in the book of Philippians. And Lord, help us to realize that our focus of life needs to be our dear savior, Jesus Christ.